Okay, people, who do you think we And these things become regurgitated. So let's say you're rewarded for something that you do. Um, then you want to push that agenda forward. It, you know, you have this... Uh, if you do something good, you're rewarded for it. You want to go out there and tell everybody. And then they will try to repeat the same thing. And we project all these things forward consciously um, through these attributes that you've been rewarded for, of course. And you make it a part of your persona, your worldview. And you make it a part of the way that you interface or face the world, right? But then, you know, you have somebody like me. Um, on the other shoulder, you know, going, come on. Let's cause some chaos. You know what I mean? Like, who cares? Let's let's do something that's going to rub people the wrong way. Like, you know. Now, this, if we want to call the other one the, the angel, then this is the devil's side. Um, and... This becomes the, in my case, I like it because I am that part of it. Um, and it's the chaos side, but it's also the devil side, as they call it. Now, whatever, uh, with the whole like devil thing, but I'm no angel, but I'm no devil. I am simply whatever it is that you need me to be and I just simply say the things that most people won't and so you can take that as you will but um, so when we talk about this angel and um devil, if you will, then we have the Jungian, he named it the shadow, right? So it was called the shadow, which the shadow is the part of you that doesn't allow um, yourself to acknowledge elements of your own personality uh, because you've been told by society um, uh, not to basically or it's not morally acceptable or um, and these sides usually get repressed by people if they want to fit in to this society now I fall on the different edge of that which I don't really fucking give a shit and most of what I do is to do the opposite of that and show people that it's still viable. Yes, I don't own a house. No, I will not get married. No, I will not have kids. None of the normie stuff. 
I will do, and it's all for different reasons, but I can wrap it up into something like this. Now, my lifestyle's not... Everybody can do that. Um, and they can, but they just choose not to. Um, my personal freedom is one of the top most important things to me. I'm free to do what I want any old time. Okay? I don't give a fuck about what anybody says. And I don't have to. Now, when you get into a relationship, that's different. And that's why I try to stay single a lot. Why? Because I don't want people impeding or even me making it feel that I need to. That's the selfish motherfucker that I am. I don't like to be told what to do or when to do it. Now, if you can have a relationship like that, yeah, yeah, I mean, then it's very special. And that's why my relationships tend to be very special and very few and far between. And, um, because it's all, it's very hard to date somebody like me. And I understand that. And I don't give a fuck. Um, because that's what, that's, that's what I'm sticking to. You know, I did this all my life, like, I'm 52. It's not like I'm going to change my mind and suddenly want to become a normie, right? This is a part of my life, and it's to be able to show, <coughs> excuse me, to be able to show everybody else that it, it can be done, and I'm the one that's doing it, okay? And it comes, don't try this at home, kids. Um, it's not for the weak at heart. Like, it's, it's a rough existence, um, Comparatively speaking, if you're not properly trained for it, and what I mean trained is your your how you grew up is <laughs> will dictate a lot of that. Um, now, with this shadow part of yourself, um, you acknowledge the elements of your own uh, personality um, and. Uh, these are the ones that get repressed, the shadow self, which is all of those possibilities of what you could be. Some of it's good, some of it's bad, some of it's facial abuse, you know? Um, it's where kink comes from, it's where... Um, but anyway, these, these things are pushed down uh, because whatever rule system that we're living in, okay, there's many different rules systems, kind of like mathematical systems, but there's, so we have different rule systems. And um, that's dictated by what we're, which system we're living in at the time, okay, because we go through a lot of different ones. <coughs> But it depends on which one you're in at the time. And then you develop personas to actually interface with all the various groups that you interact with. Okay, so if you don't, if you aren't familiar, uh, you initially, you have a school system that you 
uh, interact with or interface with going to school and you have the school authority be it the principal and all this and so you develop a persona for the school and you develop a persona for college or high school or as it, as it goes on you get a different one each time okay and then the persona for the employers um, and then maybe if you go in the army then you have that persona now that just so happens to be the path I took um, so all those different personas uh, people start to lose themselves because they are have a persona or a mask on so much of the time that they don't remember what this they look like themselves and it scares them actually it's why they can't be alone too long with their own heads and they people don't like techno music because they say it's soulless because it has no words because it doesn't lead you down a, a road of happiness or you know joy or warm feelings okay it leaves you open with your own head to fucking do whatever and that that head of yours will take it to the scariest darkest places but if you're used to that you become a different animal right now you're sitting there um, with your personas now now we have the shadow self and whatever if you want to call it the, the the devil and the angel right the typical dualistic one on each shoulder now what do you think it's all funny and when you see this metaphorical visual aspect of things which we've all seen it before the you watch the commercial with the metaphor of whatever but they've got the show that angel and the devil on his shoulder but what people stop realizing is what is in between the devil and the angel what is separating them now when we look at it it's usually some other doofus but it's us it's our head basically it's our head literally our head is in between both of these little fuckers that are telling you what to do and your head's bobbing back and forth like fucking spinning like the exorcist fuck me jesus like i mean it's like what the fuck is happening you know trying to listen to both sides and you know one sounds so enticing and the other one's no i can do this right uh, this is the way i have to do but this is all dies come to the dark side Luke. okay uh, it leaves the person in the middle with like a what the fuck moments all the time you know the angel says there's good and there's us in the middle just seriously saying what the fuck and there's your dualistic duality you know your uh, you're just always in the middle trying to figure out what it is that you're supposed to do most of your life is lived this way 
we always try to work out what we're supposed to do. And this causes us to be, um, this is how we become dualistic. That we act in one way to stay within the moral code system, um, but we feel another way. You know, so, and our entire lives become a process of trying to bring those sides of us together, to mesh it into one cohesive part so that we can live as a whole and in peace and in one and not be torn all the time. We want to become some kind of unified person of self, you know. And that's what great stories and specifically psychological or psych uh, metaphors are designed to help you do. And they're very important in the dynamic of storytelling. And that's why we use them so. It's like a hidden architecture, you know. There's an unconscious symbolism in stories. And through studying the English languages I did and um, literature and not like saying that I'm some crazy literature freak because I didn't like, um, I never liked the these and thous and I know I don't even like Romeo and Juliet because of that fucking language. But I, I, I am well read. Uh, but I take from the people that influence me the most. And so... English literature and talking about it lets you understand that as a storyteller we grasp this evocative symbols okay that they grasp the resonance of imagery. And if you can do that and allow another person to see, feel, absorb, resonate with this, and why they're so evocative, why this is, why they resonate, is they have layers of which are on a subconscious level 
that resonate where the listener or the, the watcher of the story or the reader, they can pick up and, well, they can pick up on it and interpret it in their own way, if you will. And even I have used this in, in the cult where, and I know I'm giving away a big secret right now, but the slogan for the cult is think different. Think differently, you know. Think differently, actually, is what I came up with. But I didn't, it wasn't a brand new thought process. I sat around and thought about what it was needed to be. And I needed, as I'm speaking about it, it's, this is why I'm bringing it up, is because I needed to put it in a subconscious level to you guys, where subconsciously that slogan actually brought back some familiarity you know if you put something out brand new like my symbol okay that's brand new people look at it they don't understand what it is and therefore it's kind of weird to them right there if there's no they don't they don't connect with it then it's scary it's kind of like, I don't understand it, therefore it's weird, right? Well, the cult itself, making the words the cult of Osiris, uh, that one was to say, fuck you, I don't give a shit if you like it or not. I'm still putting the word cult in there, right? So then you had uh, the symbol, which was kind of the same way, but... But the slogan is what is going to reach everybody in this way of which had to be familiar. So I took one of the biggest all-time slogans known to man. I mean, there's been a few of them, IBMs, Coca-Colas, um, but there's one I resonated with, which was Steve Jobs when he came out with Apple. And it was his fight against the norms and IBM at the time. And his slogan was think different. And think different so you could make different products. And as you see, it worked very well. And I took the same concept, added it, you know, something to it because it actually will give the the base or the root of that and that's what will sound familiar but it won't it's not the same thing and some of the new kids on the block oh oh oh, oh um they're not going to understand because they won't have that resonance of it but that's okay because i got the new shit you know but for the older people, um, that that was the kind of, that sounds familiar. You know, there's recognition of it. Therefore, it's not so foreign. So thinking differently gets you different things. Like Jobs did with a computer. It went 
differently. And with this is the same thing as the cult. As you think differently, you get a better data set and you make a better decision, whatever that might be. Right? So think differently, people. So that's on a subconscious level. Okay, so these layers of resonance and subconscious uh they, the listener, the reader, the watcher will pick up on this uh, and interpret it in their own way. And that's very, uh, very, I mean, it's a very big, valid approach of how to do things. And we, uh, a lot of people do it like they do them. And uh, I mean, that's how I conceptualize somebody. Inception itself is born out of that. Uh, and if they pick up on that, then they interpret that in their own way. And that is uh, what we needed to learn and get on board with because... You don't understand how powerful, significant this can be. Because now that shapes your worldview, as we saw with the Hitler thing. Um, if you put those ideas in people's heads, you'd be, watch out. Like Now, again, I go back to who does it best. And again, I bring up. The Nolan brothers, specifically Christopher, um, and they are just simply amazing. That's all I can say. And like I said, they have the best shows out there, be it from Westworld, which was some of the deepest plot character fucking building I've ever seen in my life. Brilliant. How the fuck do you even think that way? That is that is absolutely brilliant. I know a lot of people don't probably like it because it's too deep, but that to me, if I got to go back and watch, because I don't remember, you, you, people, you millennials have an extension span of like 30 minutes, 30 seconds, 30 minutes at the most, but you'll be watching a show and forget what the fuck you're watching. You know what I mean? Gateway drug smokers are the same way. Your tension, the fucking memory you recall, fucking horrible. So it would give way that you wouldn't like something like this. But for me, that's exactly what I like because that's so layered and so built and you're so involved and you're so you're dedicated into it, you know. Um, it has to grasp you. So you have to you have to connect with it. So how do they do that in something like that? Now the Nolan brothers, yeah, I mean they did everything. So and not only have they made the best the movies, uh, Inception, I believe was theirs too, um Westworld, uh you name it, it, it keeps going on. They've done a lot of T V uh Inception, like, like uh, Memento, I think was maybe theirs. Uh, anyway, I'm not gonna. Uh, Batman Begins is what, like, I'll, I'll get into that here in a second because that is a perfect example of what I'm about to speak of. And 
Now, what they do is they make movies about this Jungian philosophy, not about whatever the movie's about. So, um, and they reference them absolutely directly in their movies, and they make their movies about it with characters of which you guys would like. So, um, Inception, Batman are foundations of all of their storytelling and psychological and mythological, okay? It is their modern day. Now, when we think of mythology, okay, uh, we quite often think about old stories, Osiris, like, of gods and path, uh, some of the pantheons of you know, the Greeks, uh, Greek mythology being the one we learn about most. And it all seems so outdated, I would, you know, the myths are outdated. We cannot practically and, um, Yeah, outdated stories of the gods. Um, it's a bit archaic, if you will. And it seems a bit like superstition more than anything else. But the real truth of the matter is that mythology is just a metaphorical story, okay? It's a metaphorical, metaphorical story that helps us convey moral in practical lessons uh, and if we look at why they seem so archaic now is because we just don't recognize the symbols that they're using anymore there's new symbology and no more people with wings or some guy in sandals roaming around in a dress saying he turning water into wine or something uh, we don't and maybe some of the hippies but we don't resonate with that anymore the idea of a guy with wings floating in the sky doesn't really connect with society today and then you have to come up with something that we do and um, what is that and well I'll tell you what it is and uh, I know that some people listening especially well let's just say I gave them some pictures, some paintings, of some things he liked, and these superheroes, okay? Now, superheroes, that is the new mythology, if you will. Thor, you know, the superheroes have become our, the society's new, the millennial new 
myths, if you will. And this is an interesting thing here because I don't think a lot of people understand that concept. They, they're, the kids' new mythology is not the Greeks, the, the Romans. The, it's superheroes. Yeah, superheroes. And what they do is have them allow... to connect with these kids of today. And those that connection with the superheroes, and that's the form of superstition in itself, right? When you think about the idea of the shadow or the devil and the angel, and that it's your head in between going, what the fuck? They don't know what they should, what they should be or what they should do. Well, that's the same concept as the character of Batman. Now, I myself never got in never understood how batman was considered a superhero because he hadn't had any superpowers you know except if being rich was one of them i don't know but anyway uh, but it, it is used um, i will use it here quite a bit because it's what is the symbology of what we're speaking of it is the pure aspect of what we're speaking of. And Christopher Nolan did this specifically because he's not talking about a Batman. The Batman is for you guys. That's that persona for it. What Batman is, is the dark side. It engulfs, it encapsulates every Jungian, the entire Jungian concept of the persona of, you know, the dualistic. Why? Because that's what Bruce Wayne, Bruce Wayne is the, like, remember when I said it, you got one on your shoulder and you're looking back and forth going, what the fuck? Well, that's what Bruce Wayne is, okay? Bruce Wayne is the guy in between who doesn't know exactly what he should be. Okay. And what do you have on those sides? The two sides. Bruce Wayne is the ego. Okay. And he's trying to develop himself as a unified person. And what his persona, what his suit is that you, what elements of him that you define by, or define his moral codes, okay? What he's trying to say 
is what he believes in or what his codes are or what defines him as a moralistic person. Well, that's Batman. Okay. Batman is the ideal or the idea that he is striving towards in order to be a good person. Okay. But in doing the, that, he has to repress that, I don't know, animal self, if you will. Um, he has to repress that element of his animal self or the dark side or the, the crazy things. How And how does that manifest itself? Like, what does that manifest? And it's right there in the movie just because it's not about Batman. And what's on the other end of Batman? You got one guy striving to be a good moral person and needs this this character uh, that you guys think, like, oh, what is the dualistic part of that? one of the greatest non-villains of all time the joker why because it's a joke he's not even a villain that's the joke he's really not even a villain he's the manifestation of the individual who's trying to become the moral person and what you don't understand yet how what does that manifest inside the Joker okay like if storytelling is all about metaphors of psychological forces these things that they're not people okay so the, like I said it's not the Joker or Batman they are representations of ideas that operate in the mind in everybody's mind that's why it seems so familiar that's why it, because it is we just they're just putting a, a character to it instead of an leaving it as a word or an idea it's an idea and these are what Jungians young called archetypes Now, Jung, he really recognized that when you repress the animalistic part or the shadow part of yourself and you don't acknowledge it and you just push it way down, if you don't listen to it, it festers. And it turns into what he called the beast within. And we all have this repressed anger, repressed kink, repressed many of things um, causes the beast within. It's that anger that is pushed down and pushed down and pushed down, but eventually it will pop. So this beast, this metaphorical beast that is pushed down, well, the Nolan... Christopher gave that 
gave it a character, gave it a something you could see, something that was no longer a, a merely a repressed thing, but now it has a face, and that face is the Joker. And he's the animalistic force who resents what kept him caged up. He resents all rules. He resents the idea that he should be controlled, that there should be plans and rules. He's like, like we were when we were little like I am to this day. And it, that, we don't like rules. We want to be, have total freedom to do whatever we want. But you know what the normies call that? Do you know what the masters of the systems that make the rules call that? The, the government, the they call that chaos and that can't happen so you you know the joker is a agent of chaos through us existing alone is the representation and the reminder that there is this out there it is possible you don't have to live by their rules all the time and it causes chaos which in a way is good in others to others it's not and we all resonate with this side this is the side that we've always, that we secretly wanted um, to do, to live like. To, uh, we've repressed it. We've uh, we've given in to a relationship or a, a, a job or whatever bounds that we have inside of our white picket fence and our two and a half kids and our one and a half cars. Our lattes and our, yeah, you know, but we all see that side of ourselves and we, we like it, we connect with it. And you take somebody like the Joker and he is not this, he just stops becoming, he's not an evil, like Dr. Evil, you know, but he's playful and he's funny you know and he's mischievous and he's left full of tomfoolery and shenanigans and these are all qualities of which we have that we've repressed because we want to become socially acceptable in different groups So be careful what you wish for, because you're probably going to get it. <laughs>
So there's many situations. Um, some of them are the most famous moments in probably cinema that resonate with us because that's how you know it's a good movie. You know, somebody did it right. But most of them are because of the representation of psychological forces meeting together. And we'll get more into that about, you know, one of my favorite, the Fight Club, which I could go on forever about. And um, then you have um, you really have the agents of chaos against the moral playpen of pussies I don't know like um, as we will see in cinema today those great moments they had those in the mythology remember um, the Greek mythology uh, you had the pantheon of the gods somebody like Zeus um, discussing humanity with another god and that's exactly if you remember uh, happening in the scene if you remember that in Greek mythology that exact scene happened in Batman and if you're a Batman person and you you'll remember this scene. And it's the first time that the Joker talks um, to the superego, which is Batman himself. So if for the first time you have Joker sitting across from Batman and they're looking at each other and they speak, well, the Joker speaks for the first time. Now you have to, you have to give it up to Nolan's. The Joker is everything that the Batman is striving toward, and he's he's the total opposite. Well, you have Batman actually in his bat suit, so using that persona to do good in the world, you know, but he has to do bad to do good, basically. He has to hurt people for it to get... You know, people don't understand that. And there he is sitting across from the Joker, who is the epitome of chaos agent, um, which would actually make his heart harder job. But that is the pure yin and yang looking at each other. That is for the first time, you know, you're seeing that. And you see it, and then... And then what? What do you have to say about that? And the monologue or the detail of which the Nolan brothers went with what Joker said is just brilliant. And um, so you have Batman in this 
Batman's this internal representation of the mindset of Bruce Wayne, you know. And now I can't remember it word for word, but it's not like Fight Club where I, I got it. But when the Joker started talking for the first time to Batman, he says something to the effect of, hey, we're both freaks. Okay, you got the Joker in his Joker costume in the back, dressed up like a fucking bat. Like, okay, so both freaks. We're both outside the normal. Okay, be a freak like me, you know? You're just a freak like me. Okay? And he's speaking about the general public, about... You're a vigilante, so you might be okay now. Um, they might like you right now. They might be on your side. Um, but he says, but when you, but when they don't, they'll cast you out like a leper. It's so true. They'll cast you out like a leper. Their moral code is a bad joke. They'll drop it at the first sign of trouble. And the world is, I'm trying to remember exactly how he said it, but the only, the world is only as good as, or they're only as good as the world allows them to be. I think that's what it is. And he's, then he says, so when the chips are down, these civilized people will eat each other, basically. And it was just brilliant. Like, oh, you couldn't ask for a better, like, talk right there. That the first time he spoke to Batman, that's what he just spells. Now, I'll kind of sum that up a little faster, but I was trying to remember it as it went along because I, I don't remember it word for word. But he, again, he said, you're just kind of a, you're a freak like me, okay? Don't get all full of yourself. You're like me. Um, and right now, they're on your side. The, the public's on your side. Everybody's, but when you're, when they're not, they'll cast you out like a leper. Because you see their morals, their moral code is a bad joke. They don't really have it, and they change them at the first sign of trouble. And they're only as good as their world will allow them to be. And when the chips are down, these civilized people that you are trying to protect will fucking turn on each other and eat each other like the zombie apocalypse. And that's a perfect fucking way of explaining you people. And when I say you people, it's the society of today. It's just like that. And again, I tell you, it's not about Joker and Batman. That's more for you guys. He is putting out the Jungian philosophy right there, that's what it is. It has nothing to do with Batman and Joker. 
He's doing that and then slapping on some Batman for you guys. It's going to be a good story because it's real. Now, you see, if that repressed part of our psychological or our psychiatry could have, if it could have a voice. So if you had this pushed down, okay, as you do, and some people like, I won't use any names, but somebody that went out to make better porn plots out in Las Vegas has these voices within him and he makes them come out and their personas and he makes a whole little story bored with him. It's brilliant, brilliantly psychotic, but it's brilliant nonetheless. But you have to give this suppression or depression. You have to give it a voice. What would it say? What would it say? Hey, pussy, let me out of here. What would it say? How would it articulate how it feels being repressed and pushed down? And this is what the shadow directly is reflecting upon how arbitrary these systems of persona are about and how we react in certain ways uh, because we're told to, because we are supposed to act like this, because uh, we are supposed to. This is why the Joker is such a captivating character within the movie because he represents a force, an idea that's within your, everybody, within yourself. But it doesn't have a voice. It doesn't have its own voice. And this is what I try to be when you ask about that. What is it that you are? Give me a bio. I can't sum myself up in a few words. And if you look at my bio on Facebook, then it says exactly this. I am whatever you need me to be. That's not meaning I'm some player out there just doing whatever people want so I can get in their pants. As we all know, that's not what this is all about. It's all about the persona of me comes from you. What it is that I am comes from your interpretation of what you see of me. I've had people make very bold assumptions on who I was, and they never even met me before. It's just what they've heard and they've seen. And I find it great amusement. I, most people get mad. I do not. 
you can say, oh, well, he smokes meth or he does that. But yeah, if it's true, it's true. You're not going to bother me with that. Okay. That is not something that will bother me if it's the truth. And I won't defend myself if it's not the truth because I don't have to. Somebody else will do that. Somebody else will do it for me. Because the person that is saying something that's untrue, they're eventually going to run into and say that and spout that out to the wrong person. They're going to, to somebody that actually knows me. And they're going to correct them. And they're going to tell them they're wrong. And they're going to tell them, hey, you fucking have no idea what you're talking about. And I don't have to do anything. I just sit back and laugh. At, oh, the story has gotten to, I'm a heroin addict. I thought I was an upper person. Forgive me. Um, you know, so it, most of the people that are spreading uh, these kind of things are one of two kinds of people. One, they just don't know me at all. Or B, they're just trying to tear down somebody so they look better. And either one, I don't give a fuck. I don't. I'm the one saying the things that you won't. I'm the ones putting ideas out there that you guys probably could have all had, but just don't even go down those pathways. I do whatever I want, whenever I want. And I don't have to answer to anybody. consequences are for those that get caught if you're doing something and it's illegal it sits within the bounds of these rules that you don't morally think that are right I've learned I don't care I will do I don't care about the rules I really don't I don't live by their rules I Try not to get caught is what I do. If if there's somebody enforcing a rule that I don't like, well, then it becomes a game of not getting caught. You're, you're only wrong if you get caught, okay? And that means somebody has to enforce these rules. And I'll give you an example before you go off the fucking deep end about it's not anarchy for anarchy, just for the pure fact of it. And this is what I mean. The people making the rules in the society of which you live are making rules like this. You have to wear a seatbelt in a car, but you don't have to wear a helmet on a motorcycle. Now think about that. How stupid is that? Really, really, really think about that. I came from a time when cars came off the assembly line in Detroit and they literally, not figuratively, literally did not have seatbelts in them. 
Okay. We could smoke on airplanes. Yeah. All you millennials go, no fucking way. Yeah. On airplanes, we could have cigarettes and smoke. Y'all can't even smoke 50 feet from a building. Okay. You see the rules? See the dumb rules? They just keep getting more and more and they strangle you. Now, what I have learned, now I'm not going to try to go smoke on a plane. Why? Because you're going to get caught almost no matter what. Um, that's why I would smoke on a plane normally. But they still have ashtrays in them. If you don't believe me, millennials, look at some of those older planes. They literally have ashtrays on them. So, the, and that's what it is. Like, I getting caught my personal freedom being the most most the, my cherished possession but it's mine but if you want to take that away you're you're going to have a serious problem and I mean my personal freedom is more like life and death so you might have to kill me to take it away from me you're definitely going to have to kill me to take it away from you and that's one thing I won't allow in when you fuck up if you fuck up with me if you are fucking with my personal freedom i will extinct you will be i will take you out that's it's that's because it's you or me and if you're taking away my personal freedom which is everything that i am about then i'm gonna not get caught and take you out like we know how to do it like the thing is you don't want to be loud about certain things that you do you can still do them but don't be loud about them as i got arrested in dc doing okay you know when we were doing our protest i learned that i can still do that but i don't have to be so loud about it do it in a different way as well i do now but we all have this side of ourselves, this shadow self. And that's why great stories will have these things in them uh, the both sides of it, you know, the, the greasers and the socials, the you know, the, part, the, peak, uh, the rich kids and the poor kids, the jets and the, you name it, it's the same story. And again, we're getting back to, the, if you could have a voice for this repressed side of your shadow self, like, what would it say? Like, what would it be? What would it sound like? Try to work on that. Try to work on giving that voice to that repressed part of you and when you get drunk one night have a conversation out loud with it yeah great fun you can do a whole party about it everybody comes gets wasted and has their inner child fucking their inner shadow self fucking talking dude that would be the funniest shit in the world actually I might do that <laughs>
again, while we're saying that the Joker is such a captivating character, why my persona is the, as it is, is because we say things that other people wouldn't. We not only say it, but we live it. We live what we say, and we say what you won't. And that... is to the higher-ups, to the ones that want rules, they think of us as agents of chaos, bringing chaos to the, to the sheeple. And that's what we're doing, just us being alive. Because we live our life, the life that we live is lived by what we say. If we just said it and didn't live it, it would just be some bullshit. But when you're seeing it being lived out in front of you, you know it's possible. And it's not all fun all the time. Because imagine what kind of conflict there's. Is. You have to really learn how to deal with that. Now, with this voice that you give to the shadow self, this introduces what this whole thing was really about, was a visual metaphor. Okay, we're taking it from a metaphorical words on a piece of paper text and giving it a visual aspect. Now, this is for visual learners. This is for somebody um, like men, specifically, or visual people. Women tend to be more auditory. Um, But visual aspect, it's a visual metaphor, um, something that you can see, not only recognize when you hear it, but see it. And this joker or this animal part of you that's suppressed this visual metaphor shows what happens when the animal within you, you know, observes something that it's totally against. Again, explanation of this is they do it on film brilliantly. It's hard to explain, so I'll explain what the film, part of the film it was, but so when I said that we had to have a voice for this, this shadow self or this other one, right? So here you have the Joker who is the epitome of the poster per boy of chaos, of all like doesn't like to live by any rules, does whatever he wants, and hates any form of control or rules or authoritarian, military, cops, 
whatever, all authority. So, if you remember in the film, there's a scene where, uh, oh, it's absolutely so perfect too, because the Joker has been caught and is sitting in jail, but he's in this cell. And this jail cell is not like normal cells. Like I think it, I think there's 360 degrees. It's like a individual cell for this guy. But you, it's in the precinct, and you can I'm pretty sure because I, from what I remember, that you can see that he is surrounded. So that to me tells me he's in the center of the, the precinct. Or uh, so anyway. He's surrounded in the middle of the belly of the beast. Like he's he's in the most authoritative place that he can be. Smack dab in the middle of the goddamn cop station. Cops are everywhere. They're running around. And, you know, they finally have this bad guy sitting there. And it's um, the head of the cops something Gordon was his name I forgot what detective whatever his name was but it's at this point where surrounded by all of the cops and all the authority there sits Batman or God there sits the Joker in this metaphorical lace it's showing how we live our lives like he's surrounded by all of these things of which he hates and it shows him how he reacts to somebody that is actually getting promoted or getting a that boy for something they did and the rules that they followed that he's against. Okay, so somebody is getting rewarded for something that the Joker does not recognize. And it's how the Joker reacts to this and this scene is when the commissioner becomes commissioner gordon it's that very moment that i forgot who the detective was was speaking with him and he then promotes him at that moment or congratulates him in his speech to, to commissioner gordon and uh this is right in front of the joker and and the Joker stands up from his sitting position in his cell and gives this creepy little clap. Like, bravo, bravo. Okay. And, and this was kind of a representation of how that self would act, that shadow self, how it would act uh, in the middle of all of this opposite of what it believes okay so now that joker is he resents the idea that there's any kind of control at all now in the utmost part of things control and chaos are the most fundamental archetypes in all of psychology. Okay, that's because the thing we're always battling with, we control 
We want to control our lives. We want to have control over our lives. We always say it. I need to get control of my life. Everything's in chaos. Everything's up. Okay? So we want to control it. And we battle with this. How to do this every day. We don't want to be in this chaotic form. And that dualistic, that duality of it all is probably the greatest stories that's always depicted in some way by embodying force of different kinds of forces, okay? And the epitome of it sits there with the Joker, so. Don't forget, I'm not just talking about somebody else. I'm talking about you. We all go through this. Some of us do something about it. Some of us don't. Some of us do the wrong thing. And some of us are martyrs. Now, there's another... If you go back to that scene, if you can picture this animal of the Joker being sitting in this cage, surrounded by authority of everything he hates, and he's deeply, deeply resentful. And this represents your psyche, okay? What the philosopher and psychologists of... Uh, by the name of Nietzsche, if anybody doesn't know, then I'm sorry, like, you need to be well read. Nietzsche says, uh, but this is what he called, Nietzsche called recognizing, that he recognizes that faith, that your faith in authority is the source of conscience. And the content of our conscious is everything that we regularly demand of ourselves without reason, without reason, specifically during our childhood, by persons who were respected or feared, case okay, so our parents so we start life in this position of developing a rule system and when we grow up we need to actually have our own rule system because we need to be individual. And then we have to come up with another rule system if we decide to have kids. So for that one, so many rules, so many rules. And, you know, it's inevitable that we all think 
We want to become individuals. It is should we what we strive for individually, individualistically, individually. That's what we should strive for, right? You would think that what makes you stand out that's what you say you want. Do you want to be like everybody else? No, I want to be like Mike. He likes everything. No. This is the true, like, fucked upness that you don't think about. You try to fit in all the time. Try to fit in with this clique or that clique or this group or that group. You always want to be accepted. Da, 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 da. Oh, I can't, my peer group. Oh, I'm... Okay, well, you try to fit in your whole life. But then suddenly you decide that you want to be an individual. Okay, you know what that means? Most of you don't, really. That means ostracizing yourself over here. An individual by one. Okay? You're excluding yourself from these groups because you want to be yourself or an individual. So once you do that, you put yourself outside of all the groups. And then look at poor old you who starts to cry and get blue hair or whatever to get back in these groups is what you do. Because out there is all cold and alone. And, uh, I can't do anything. I don't have any friends. Let's, let's shoot people, okay? No. You millennials have the wrong fucking idea. You say you want one thing, then when you get it, you don't like it. Go fuck yourselves, okay? I had this goddamn millennial come to me, and he's lucky I did not punch him in his fucking face, because he literally came to me bitching about how his bumble date came over, fucked him, and then left, and he felt like a piece of meat. Now, that's not a man. That is a pussy. Okay? We used to write in and read... That was like a Playboy form fantasy. That we only fantasized that that would happen. That's what porn is made of. And here he is bitching about it. Oh, some girl came and fucked me and then left and I didn't have to snuggle or talk to her or buy her anything. What the fuck are you bitching about? Like... Even our hookers, our hookers, we pay them to go away, not to fuck us. We pay them to shut up and go away, not to fuck us. And there he is bitching. So, here we are in this world developing all these rule systems, within the rule systems, and we want to become individuals. 
you want to become you. You want to become what the what makes you different than everybody else. Why? You know? But it's what we have in common with others that get, make us attractive to them. Or, for me, I don't want to date myself, okay? So, I'm going to look for the opposite. I want to learn something. I want somebody that can teach me something. I want. I don't want to... I date myself enough. I don't want to have to date myself when I have another person there. I mean, when I'm single, that's me dating myself. I know what I like for dinner. I know what I like. I don't have to ask permission. I don't have to do this or that. I don't have to put the seat up or down on the toilet. But, I mean, that's dating yourself. And it's not that it's boring, it's just nothing new. When you date some physical person, then you don't want them to be exactly like you. You want them to have certain characteristics or certain things in common, like they got to be shorter than me, crazier than me, and love techno, of course. If they're missing any of those, then I'm not dating them. Those are unwaverable pillars of what you need to be for me to date you but those are just major three like so we even make our own rule systems when we have kids and and um, When we get back to thinking about the movie, so we're going to bring it back to the movie because we'll relate it to that. So when you think about where the Joker, even in the movie, literally, because it is literally not a movie about Batman and the Joker, it's literally about the Jungian philosophy. So this all will make total sense because that's where it comes from. I have to remind myself to tell you that the movie is not like that it's the philosophy because I'm talking about philosophy and then it's easy for you to understand it through the movie. So when people talk about the Joker, where do you come from? And if you're a fan, then start to think about what I'm saying right now because where did he come from? Who is he? Do we ever get his name? Is that why he's called the Joker? What is the ultimate joke? Who is this non-masked man? Who is this clown? Who is this Joker? He doesn't have a name. Hence why he gives all the false identities in the movie. No one ever gets his real name. Because he's everybody. He's nobody. He's what you've pushed down, what you've suppressed. 
he is the false identities that he gives because he's the repression of each one of those shadow selves that you've pushed down. He is the force that is embodied as a metaphor. Okay? That's what he is. Now, there was another great part of the movie where the Joker goes on to convince, I don't know who is the actor's name, Harvey Dent, I think it was, or maybe that was what Harvey Dent. He was explaining to him uh, just how stupid the rules are that we follow, as I just did before about the cigarettes smoking on planes in the cars with seatbelts. He goes on to explain this. And again, I can't quote what it is, but it, I get as close as I can to remembering how, what he said. And the Joker is explaining this, and he goes something to the effect of, you know what? I noticed that nobody panics when things come according to plan. Even if that plan is horrifying. You can relate that to many things. It still goes on, and I'll get to the second part of it. But Like the war be it any war that we've been in if it goes to plan as if they said it on CNN or Fox News as long as it goes toward plan then it's not horrifying at all but if they've said something and it doesn't go that way it becomes horrifying meaning anything outside of that structure of which it's but the rules are making it. Then. It's okay if it's bad, but it's it's going according to what they say it was going to be. Okay, but if it doesn't, if it doesn't. And it all goes to hell. Now if you take, let's say, if I say that a gangbanger will get shot on the streets, um, and it happens, no one's really worried about it. That's not a big deal. Or if I said a truckload of these soldiers are going to blow up due to an IED that was said. And, okay, no, I've said it and said that it was going to happen and it did. And it's horrifying, but it's okay because we knew it was going to happen. No one panicked. Because it's all part of 
There's a plan. It's all under control. But when I say that one little old mare will die, like the mayor, Kwame Kilpatrick, or mayor is in Batman, he says the mayor, if, okay, but when I say that one little old mayor will die, well, they never, they start to introduce, a, they, they don't even care about that. They, oh, well, we knew that was happening. So it must be okay. So soldiers to mayors dying to gangbangers, it's all okay as long as it was expected and said ahead of time. But Joker says, if I just introduce a little bit of anarchy, just a little, and I upset that established order, and everything becomes chaotic. And that's the scary thing to people. Not only to people, but the higher-ups, the ones that are putting the rules down. If chaos ensues, that's riots. And we saw how they get scared of that, as well they should. That is the tables being turned on the people and the controllers. The fucking psych... The insane asylum has been let out. They're roaming and taking over the asylum, you know. And this might blow your little, your little mind, but when you try to look at Batman and you ultimately see the Joker as the evil villain. But you know what? You never see the villain ever do anything. It's, he has to be the weirdest villain of them all. If you're short-minded and you can't see it, this villain never robbed a bank. Not that you saw. They didn't show you. What did he do? Why are they so scared of him? Why is he getting locked up? And he's not your typical villain. He's somebody you love to hate, but not somebody who's trying to, in the traditional sense. He's an internal force. And that's what he really is. And that's why even in the movie, he's not trying to kill Batman. If you ever noticed that, you would think the villain's always trying to kill the good guy. Right? They're at odds and they're trying to, he's getting in the way and it would kill him. No, the Joker never tries. Actually, Batman can't even. There was a scene when the Batmotorcycle was coming straight toward the Joker, Joker's got a gun, like a submachine gun, firing away, and 
He stands there as Batman's coming at him with this huge fucking monstrosity of a motorcycle, bat truck or bat bat mobile, whatever it is. And he's come on, give me a little chaos, come on. And Batman goes straight for him and he just can't do it. He turns at the last second and wrecks the bike and falls off. He can't kill him. Can't run him over. Why? Because it's a part of him. It's a real part of him. It's a dualistic part of him. You can't hate the man for being right. As I always say, I'm 85% right. That's why you hate me. I'm a part of you as much as you're part of because we have things in common. And him not attempting to kill Batman in any way. The, is that what he really wants, what he really, really wants, what he really wants is for that super ego of Batman to give up the one thing that he's fighting for. The one thing that he thinks is right and is fighting for and has a fucking entire different persona for. That is his moral code. And that, people, that is what it's all about. We want you to give up your moral codes because they're wrong. Don't get caught. But it, and it, don't do it just to do it. If you do not believe that it is correct, then don't do it and don't get caught. Other than that, you're just a sheeple that are doing what everybody tells you to do. We don't live by those rules. We don't live by any rules that we don't want to. Some rules we have to live by because we'll get caught if we don't. It's just one of those things. But there's very few of them. If you stay in the shadows, you'll be safe. Because in the shadows, no one can see you, but you're still there. Don't forget people only gossip about shit they don't know. Really. If you had to visualize as a metaphor does, what happens when you fail to integrate that shadow part and you fail to upgrade your persona so that it's actually in line with reality of which you live in and not an idea how do you physically metaphorically represent that in 
I have a hard time because I've got it talking into existence a visual aspect of a movie or something that can use that aspect of it. But how do you get that across for somebody to understand? And I think the best way to do that, they've done it a few times, um, but it's to use the representation of by showing a man who is divided in half, half shadow, half human, half a man who's given up all moral rules and leaves everything up to chance, be it a flip of the coin to a twist of the top. And this is a moral play of the little devil that's being given a voice. That's him rolling balls, playing that flip of the coin. Could be this or could be that. It all rides on it. You know, that's not control. It's leaving it to chance. It's that giving it to chance is giving that shadow part of yourself a voice of a little bit. It's an actual physical representation of that voice. And that's what Joker's doing. And that's what those Batman be. That's what Batman's doing. Batman, be good, don't kill anyone. You know? And then, you know, you have the ego. You have the super ego of Batman. You've got the... And you have Bruce Wayne. All confused in the middle, going, what the fuck, people? My persona that I've... All these moral codes that I'm fighting for to be right. And I have to do wrong things to do right things. That's what a vigilante is. They have to break the law to enforce the law. That's about way they should be anyway. We shouldn't have laws that impede our... Doing morally right. That's when you know the laws are wrong. Been there since poor little fucking rich Wayne. And we relate to this with WTF because we're like, what the fuck? And it's the same in the Jungian philosophy. Um, the psychological forces that you see across many, many films that you'll see from, they take different forms. Be it my favorite, Mr. Tyler Dirt from Fight Club. He is exactly the same force as the Joker in Batman. And if you don't make that correlation, I, 
I would have to do a whole nother podcast, just which I probably will, about Tyler Durden and about that movie, which is absolutely another brilliant movie. Tyler Durden being the epitome, the epitome of what it is that that represents that shadow self, what you all want to be, um, what you can't say, and then doing the things that you wish you could, but you don't. Okay? I mean, this goes on way beyond. I mean, if you take Edward Norton's character, you don't even. You don't even know what his name is. And I know this might blow your minds, but do you remember what Edward Norton's name was? No, you don't. Because they never gave it, really. And they might have said narrator at one point, but that's about it. He wasn't named. Um, when they were trying to explain the different things that held him hostage in his life, in his world, again, they had to represent that somehow. And if you notice, they represented that by the Ikea catalog, meaning he was a slave to the things that he owned. And literally, it was the Ikea catalog. Literally, like the Ikea catalog was all the stuff. Like, if you remember him constantly saying all the stuff was comes from the Ikea catalog. <laughs> okay, so, and you have Tyler Durden, who is just the epitome of that side of things. I mean, you have Edward Norton, who's controlled by everything, his job, his clothes, his fucking apartment, and everything. Is that's the exact, and then you have Tyler Durden over there, is selling soap but never taking a bath, blowing shit up and fucking like, he's got a whole cult, like the whole nine yards, you know, he's got his complex, but everything that that happens in that. very strange and at one point you think that maybe his name is Jack not Tyler's but Edward Norton's character remember because they were reading through the books in that house about Jack's esophagus or whatever they were saying and it was coming from like a third party um, who's Jack and where the fuck is Tyler Dirt? I can tell you some really crazy things about this movie that you would never believe even if I told you. But Now, if you remember Tyler Durden, he was an agent of chaos because he was the epitome of it. He was just like the Joker. Remember, because even he was telling and showing them how to go and do all this chaos in the restaurants with because they were all like people of you know dishwashers and this and that and they were to go out there and make chaos 
go punch somebody in the face. Go try to get somebody to punch you in the face. And people start making up and doing their own things. That's an agent of chaos. Right? And his, one of his jobs that he was explaining about how he was a projectionist and he would play the porn movies or the kids' movies. In the kids' movies, he would put penises in their like, parts of the porn and the subliminal messages that it would pop in there. Now, this is exactly what the movie producer did, and you probably don't notice at all, but that was a point. They actually put in, subliminally put in Tyler Durden and spliced him into that movie in places of which you didn't want to have noticed. Not that you wouldn't have noticed, but like he was spliced into different parts of that movie, like the penis was. Oh yes, they were fucking with you on so many different levels. Um, even they ended up putting a penis subliminally in toward the end that you wouldn't even notice it. It was not a place of where you would expect it. But yeah, I mean, they're just fucking with you on so many different levels. You have no clue. Like I said, these are just little things that you would have never pick up. But that itself is the recognition that I was talking about. That that little think different, think differently. Um, it's why it seems familiar, because it's subconsciously there. And this, and as uh, we just spoke about, it is the representation of that subconscious. And why it is there, because that's what it is. So, I guess I'm going to leave it there for the day. Psychological metaphors. That's where it's at. Okay. So, give that voice... Give a voice to that part of which you put down there that you repress. Go out and have a little fun. And I might be having a party soon. And this party is going to be only a party for our inner shadow selves. And you have to use that voice that you give it. And that's all you can talk about. You can't be yourself you only can be the you have to use a voice for this shadow self and that is how we're going to conversate throughout the whole party so until then an agent of chaos you might be come to the docks at luke again another movie spielberg all about the same thing We'll get into that because I'll do another session about that. But until then, go do something that'll make somebody laugh. Go do something that'll make somebody cry. Go do something that'll make somebody punch you in the face. But just do something out of the ordinary. Be it extraordinary or not. 
Till then. Till next time. Till we get to fight with the president. I'm Osiris. I told you, you should have killed me last year. <laughs>